Wednesday, August 21st, 2013, episode number 58 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Nation Today podcast hosted by yours truly Alex Reamer here on this Wednesday, August 21st. We are a mere 15 days away from the start of the 2013 NFL regular season and these next two weeks here on the show we'll be taking a look at both conferences, the AFC and the NFC. This week we kick things off with the NFC with David Holcomb, host of the Monday Morning Huddle podcast which can also be found right here on footballnation.com. Dave and I take a look at the top heavy NFC uh, taking a look at each division, which teams are best equipped to win those divisions and make deep runs in the playoffs. So taking a look at the NFC East, and the three teams atop that division, the Giants, Redskins, and Cowboys, pointing out some of the flaws in each of those three teams, and also looking at Robert Griffin and how he's equipped to handle the transition from becoming more of a mobile read option quarterback into a more traditional pocket passer. So we'll talk about that. Speaking of pocket passers, Few better in the game than Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. They reside in the NFC South with the Saints and Falcons. Does defense matter in that division? And will the winner of that division be the team that improves most on defense? Or in the high-flying, high-scoring NFC South, warm-weather stadiums, dome stadiums, is defense irrelevant in the regular season? We'll take a look at that. We'll also talk about the NFC North, a division once known for its hard-nosed, gritty, defensive-oriented football. Not so much anymore. The Packers... Still have significant holes on their defense. Lost Greg Jennings this offseason. Lost left tackle Brian Bulag at an injury, leaving uh, that offensive line even more depleted in front of Aaron Rodgers. Um, is this still Green Bay's division for the taking, or could this be Minnesota's year, building off a playoff berth from a season ago? And then we turn our attention to the NFC West, arguably the best division in football, and the arms race at the top of it with the Seahawks and 49ers talking about which team is better as we head into the regular season and also whether or not the St. Louis Rams could emerge as this year's sleeper team in the NFC. So Dave Holcomb of Monday Morning Huddle coming up momentarily. Then after that, we'll move on to our second down segment where we typically take a look at one of the bigger off-field football stories of the week. And this week, it's about the NFL and their handling of concussions. ESPN Outside the Lines came out with an investigative piece on Sunday with potentially damning information about the NFL's concussion committee. Uh, Dr. Elliot Pellman was head of the committee from 1994 through 2007, and uh, some not-so-good th things have been revealed about Pellman, his medical past, how he handled concussions, and, a rela and the relationship he had with former commissioner Paul Tagliabue. Then the third down segment, it's the big upper slowdown segment, uh, taking a look at storylines such as Von Miller's six-week suspension and whether or not that will affect the Broncos' playoff aspirations. Uh, Mike Vick has officially been named the starting quarterback for the Eagles. Did Chip Kelly make the right call? And Patriots star tight end Rob Gronkowski officially ruled out for week one. Should the Patriots put him on the PUP list and guarantee he will miss the first six weeks of the season? We'll discuss. And then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. Speaking of injuries... There have been a rash of injuries at training camp, everybody going down, uh, more guys by the day. Is it time to change the training camp format? I know, they've already changed it. There's less hitting, wait, do I want even less hitting than there is? Mm-hmm, 
Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I know you may think I'm crazy, but I'll explain in the fourth down segment. Football Nation today, back after this. Welcome back, Football Nation Today. It is our first down segment, and here to help us with a general overview of the NFC, we welcome in David Holcomb. You know him from the Monday Morning Huddle podcast right here on footballnation.com. Dave, how are you? I'm great, Alex. Thanks for bringing me on. Thanks for coming back. Again, we're talking with Dave Holcomb, host of Monday Morning Huddle. You can find that show every week right here on footballnation.com, part of our growing uh, podcast stable. And uh, Dave, as I said a few moments ago, some general NFC preview kickoff roughly two weeks away, if we can believe that. And Robert Griffin will not play a single snap in a game until week one, again, roughly two weeks away. And we're going to start with Robert Griffin today, Dave. To me, he's one of the biggest questions in the NFC East, and that is, will Robert Griffin be able to be more of a pocket passer this season? Remember, he had a 20-5 to touchdown-to-interception ratio last season, which is quite good, but he didn't throw the ball all that often. How do you think he will fare in making this transition? Well, Alex, I think you're right on the button there with having your doubts. Um, Young quarterbacks also sometimes regress in their second seasons, and it's possible that uh, RG3 uh, regresses, and some people are even talking about the running back, Alfred Morris, also having a sophomore slump. But I I think Griffin, I have more confidence in him than uh, Michael Vick because I think uh, Griffin has shown that he can pass in in addition to his running. But um, same as with Vic, Griffin is, is going to be injured a lot in his career, and hopefully he's an exciting player, so hopefully he stays healthy for, for a long time. But um, it's, I think you're, you're correct in having your doubts. Yeah, I mean, watching just from the eye test, David, I agree with you. I think Robert Griffin is a much better passer than Mike Vick, especially comparing Griffin where he is in the second year to where Vic was in his second year. But I think it is a question because, you know, it goes to – like, to tie to the Patriots for a moment, we talk a lot about how the Patriots may become more of a run-oriented team this season. If you look at it statistically, they actually ran the ball really well last year. But then the question is, did they run the ball really well because they have great running backs or because they, defenses play the pass so often they were able to get those yards rather easily? I think you can make a similar case with Griffin and throwing the ball last season. Is it because defenses were so... Uh, geared up to play the run or play the read option that they kind of were caught off guard when Rob Griffin would line up to throw. And, you know, so you have to wonder if some of those passing numbers, especially the turnover numbers, may be a little bit deceiving. That's true. And I think to build on that, you also have to maybe doubt whether Alfred Morris's numbers are a little right. skewed. Yes. Are, are teams um, preparing more for RG3's running and passing ability and forgetting about Alfred Morris. This guy, if, if people remember, he was second in the league in rushing, only behind Adrian Peterson last year. Set a record for most rushing yards in Reds, uh, Redskins history. <laughs> and that franchise has been around for a long time. Right. And by the way, I do think Robert Griffin does have to change the way he plays, but that's certainly a storyline to keep our eyes on in week one. Uh, so who do you think wins this division, Dave? To my, I'm discounting the Eagles. I think they have a wretched defense. So... We're talking Redskins, Cowboys, or Giants. I think it's fair to discount the Eagles, correct? I would say so. I think okay. they're going to surprise some people, but I think you know 8-8 eight eight would be a really good season for them. Yeah, and as I said, their defense sucks on ice. I don't see any way they win a lot of games there. Uh, so this division, Cowboys, Redskins, Giants, to me, 
all teams have strengths, all teams have significant flaws. I guess, which team do you think is the least flawed uh, here about two weeks away from kickoff? It's, it's hard not to go with the Giants, in my mind. Um, they have, I think, the most consistent quarterback play. Um, Eli Manning has his issues at times, but we've seen that he can get it done in big games. And this division, probably 10 games gets it done, mm. or 10 wins gets it done. And um, I, I think the Redskins uh, regress a little bit in the win total anyway um, because they're not going to sneak up on people. I can't pick the Cowboys just because they're a very inconsistent team and I'm not sure what they're what they're going to bring every single week. I think they're the most talented team, but uh, I think the Giants, with their coaching staff and the stability of the organization, have the best chance of winning this division. Yeah, I agree with that, David. Um, how about the Giants' pass defense, though? was a real weakness last season. They're getting Prince Amukamara back this year. Presumably, no mm-hmm. Entre Roll suffered an injury, but it doesn't appear to be too serious. Are you counting on their pass defense to make significant improvements from a year ago? Um, well, I think the Giants have always been built on that defensive line, and they're going to right. try and get to the, the quarterback. Too, right. Right. Yeah, so they're going to try and get to the quarterback uh, before they, the, the um, QB can pick apart their, their secondary. You want to talk with Dave Holcomb, host of Monday Morning Quarterback here on Football Nation today. Uh, I agree with you, Dave. I think the Giants are at the top of that division right now. Like you, I just can't do the Cowboys. Can't do it. Uh, on paper, yes, we say this every year, they're the most talented team, but there's mm-hmm. just so, there's so many flaws there to me. That defense never seems to live up to the potential. I'm not a believer in Tony Romo whatsoever. Uh, we'll see. I think the Cowboys are in line for, frankly, another 8-8 eight and eight season. I, I really do. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think around 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, and seven, that seems to be where they plateau. Now, uh, three of the top ten worst defense, David, uh, resided in the NFC South last season. The Saints, Buccaneers, and Falcons all had top ten worst defenses in the league. The Panthers, oddly enough, had the tenth-ranked defense in the league, if you're going by yards per game. Um, do you think the winner of that division will come down to which of those three teams, Saints, Bucks, and Falcons, made the most improvements to its defense, or in that division, warm-weather dome stadiums, is a defense irrelevant? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think for the regular season in that division, defenses are probably um, the least irrelevant, the least irrelevant probably in the league. Um, we haven't seen too too many uh, improvements to any of those defenses, except maybe the Bucks uh, adding uh, Darrell Revis. Right. Um, but uh, I think these are teams that are going to try and outscore you, and they've added pieces on offense with the Falcons adding a. Uh, Steven Jackson, I think that's a great fit. But uh, the Saints, I really like them. Uh, I think they're going to come out with a vengeance with uh, the, uh, their head coach, Sean Payton, returning, and uh, they're going to have a good season. I mean, the Saints and Falcons, those games are going to be – I mean, what, what's the over-under on combined points? Are, are we setting the mark at 100, Dave? <laughs> Do you think we're going to get there? <laughs> uh, it could be really close. I'd say between 90 and 100, it would not surprise me. Do you think, though, the Saints and Falcons, I agree with you that in the regular season in this division, especially for those two teams, I think the defense is largely irrelevant. But come the playoffs, Dave, it's obvious the league is moving totally in an offensive, pass-oriented direction. But come the playoffs, we've learned, balance still wins. Because of that, I still have my reservations about the Saints and the Falcons in the playoffs because I think those defenses are horrible, especially Atlanta's. Um, so, Super Bowl aspirations for those teams. Do you think even if they do have 11, 12, 13 win regular seasons, I'm not sure how we, if we can count on them to make deep playoff runs because 
of the weaknesses on both of their defenses. I don't think they'd be able to win a game in which their offenses score fewer than 30 points. I really don't. I'm a firm believer still in the, the old phrase, uh, defenses win championships. Um, I know that a lot of people have said that's not true anymore. Championships, David. Balance. And I don't think the Saints okay. and Falcons are balanced. Well, I, I think you're right that they're, they're not balanced. I think still there, there's a place for the running game and, uh, and defenses in, in the league. And obviously you need a quarterback uh, to win the Super Bowl. But if you look back in history, you've, you've always needed a quarterback. Right. So that, that really isn't any different. Um, you still need a defense and you still need a running game. The difference is, I think, the running is less prevalent, but you still need to run when when you need it in the fourth quarter. Right. And when the, the, the other team, the defense, is playing for you to run and you're still able to run, that's when it, you have a really effective running game. You don't have to get a ton of yards, but when you need to run, um, you need to gain those first downs and, and chew up the clock. But, yes, to answer your question, I think um, that to have your doubts about those teams going deep into the playoffs is, is very true. Right, and people forget, I mean, yeah, the Falcons' offense was shut out in the second half of last year's NFC Championship game, which certainly hurt, but the mm -hmm. defense gave up all those points as well to San Francisco. Right. Uh, Dave, speaking of defense, NFC North, a division once known for all the defense, you know, hard, gritty football, not so much the case the past couple seasons. Uh, to go back to right. a year ago, Dave, it looked like one of the strongest divisions in football. This year, I'm not so sure. Lions are coming off a 4-12 and campaign. Bears lost Brian Urlacher. A lot of changes to their defense. I'm not a Jay Cutler believer. I think their offense lacks a lot of uh, skilled players, etc. A new coach there as well. Packers still have real problems on defense. They lost some key members of mm -hmm. their offensive line, most notably left tackle Brian Bulaga. Um, I look at those three right. teams, and I see the Vikings. I don't know. Could this... Be Minnesota's division for the taking, or is it still Green Bay? I would still go with Green Bay just because um, the, the quarterback play in Minnesota is just, it's not good enough That's in my really opinion. Uh, <laughs> um, Adrian Peterson, he, he's a machine, but he's not going to get 2,000 yards again, um, no matter what kind of predictions he comes up with. He's going to have a great season, don't get me wrong, but um, he, uh, he, he can't carry the team like he did last year, and they only won 10 wins. They won 10 games with that uh, 2,000 yards. I still think Green Bay is the most talented team. and Similar to uh, the Falcons and Saints, they, they're a team that you have doubts in the playoffs because they don't have a lot of balance. And you look at the Packers, David. You look at some of the weapons that have been taken away from Aaron Rodgers in recent years. Greg Jennings, of course, leaves for Minnesota. And you look at his top two receivers. Mm -hmm. I like Jordy Nelson a lot, but now he's the number one. You have Randall Cobb in there as well. Uh, Rodgers is a guy who, you know, similar to Tom Brady, uh, lost some, has lost some weapons over the past couple of seasons. That's true. Um, but, you know, MVPs make the players around them better. Right, absolutely. And we've seen that with Tom Brady over the last 10 years. He's, he's been uh, – no one's been better at making receivers better than what they are than Tom Brady. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers throughout his career might have to do the same thing. Adrian Peterson, to go back to him, Dave, you mentioned the workload. He ran the ball 348 times last season. Um, do you think the Vikings will make a concerted effort early on to give Christian Ponder a little more of the reins here with the offense, or do you think they'll still just keep running Peterson until he can't run anymore? I think if they want to win, they're going to run Peterson. Uh, that gives them the best chance to win, and they're going to hope that their, their star running back uh, holds up through the season and continues to hold up in his career. But uh, 
ponder, not to rip on the guy, but he hasn't shown much in his career yet. And for him, hopefully he gets a little better. But um, Peterson is the guy in Minnesota. Who's the quarterback, uh, let's say, in week 10? Matt Castle or Christian Ponder for the Vikings? Oh, um, I would I would probably say still with Christian Ponder. Um, we'll we'll see how the season goes for him. I mean, he's he's shown some signs of of maturing a little bit. Uh, I wish we could have saw him uh, in the, the playoff game last year against Green Bay. Um, but uh, you know, he's got he still has a lot of growing up to do. Not that he can't do it, but he, he still needs a lot of development. We're at the NFC West, Dave, a real fascinating division to me. Uh, I've talked a lot this offseason about, I think, the arms race between the 49ers and the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks lost one of their big pieces, Percy Harvin, early on in training camp. So as we stand here right. today, which team is better, San Francisco or Seattle? You know, I'm going to go with Seattle. Wow. I, I really like the I really like the Seahawks. Um, you know, it's kind of a wide-open NFC, but we've kind of named the reasons why we don't like some of the other divisions or other teams. I'm just a negative um, guy, that, David. I, I choose to harp on the negative versus the positive, so you know, don't <laughs> don't read too much into that. <laughs> okay, um, but uh, there's hard besides maybe the Percy Harvin injury. I, there's it's hard to find a negative with the Seahawks. Well, what, what's your negative on the on Seattle? <laughs> Uh, my negative on Seattle would be, David, I think they have a very strong defense, but I have some questions about that secondary now. They had a lot of PED issues last season, um, and okay. I wonder if that secondary will be as good this year as they were last year. And I look at that offense, you know, I just look at the running back position. It's a position where there's a shelf life on every back. Uh, Russell Wilson was quite good last year, but a lot of that load fell on Marshawn Lynch. And I worry that with Harvin out again, it's still a relatively unproven receiving core there. I wonder if Lynch will be able to really carry the offense on his shoulders for a second consecutive season. If I were to nitpick for Seattle, those would be some of my concerns. All right. Um, I've, I've heard other people say, you know, that Marshawn Lynch is, is due to have a down year. He's, he's carried the ball a lot. I think I heard... He had, including the playoffs and, and preseason, he had like 700 carries last year, 700 touches last year, something right. really, really high. Um, but you look at this team, Just I, I love that they're so young on defense. And you mentioned that secondary, but Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, these guys are all under 25 years old, and they're still pretty good. And they added uh, Antoine Winfield, the veteran cornerback, I think they're going to be a good team, and they're not going to be all together at the beginning because they do have the PED issues. But come towards the, the end of the season, I, I think they're going to um, claim that division over San Francisco. Yeah, I, I like Russell Wilson a lot too, Dave. I think both the 49ers and the Seahawks make the postseason. I would choose San Francisco to win that division over Seattle. I love the Anquan Bolden acquisition for the Niners. I think he fits in with that team so well. Gives Kaepernick a lot, another target in the middle of the field alongside Vernon Davis. Uh, I think the Niners could be even more dangerous this year than last season. But it should be a hell of a race, right? San Francisco, Seattle, a real rivalry seems to be brewing out uh, out west. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it's the, the best new rivalry in the league. And I think uh, – I mentioned this last year and maybe I said it a little premature but I think this is the best division in football oh, the Rams are going to be coming up um and I think St. Louis is going to be a lot better this year with the stuff that they did in the draft getting uh Devon Austin Sam Bradford's going to be better and the Cardinals are still going to be last but they're bringing in Bruce Arians gives them new life and they've got Carson Palmer who can actually get the ball to Larry Fitzgerald <laughs> unlike the guys last year 
And uh, Rashard Mendenhall is a decent running back that can give them some um, some rushing yards. Stole my thunder, Dave. If Sam Bradford <laughs> can, if Sam Bradford can step up and do it this year, and I'm not sure if he can, but if if he does take that next step forward this season, I agree with you. I think the Rams could be a real scary team this year. They played both the 49ers and Seahawks tough a year ago. Um, I right. like their skill players, especially the addition to Tavon Austin. I love their defense. Chris Long, I think, is going to take that step, be a premier pass rusher this season, have a hard-hitting and deep linebacking core. I like a lot about the Rams as well. I think the NFC West has uh, has a surpassed the NFC East, which previously has been called the best division in football. I think there are a lot of flawed teams there. It's tough to find a lot of flaws. I think in even the top three teams in the NFC West, especially if Bradford can take that step forward uh, with St. Louis. If the NFC as a whole wasn't so deep, I think there's a lot of good teams in the conference. Right. I would say the Rams had a good chance to make the playoffs. I, I think they, I think they're going to finish around eight and eight, nine and seven, maybe ten and six. But I don't. I'm not sure if that's going to be good enough to get the sixth wild card. Right. The, the last wild card spot. Right, it's a tough division. Here we're talking with Dave Holcomb. Find him Monday morning huddle podcast right here on FootballNation.com. David, we take for the time what he got uh, coming up on the show here. As as I said, we count down the uh, the minutes almost uh, until in, until the, the 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 season kickoff. Um. Well, I've got uh, you know the Monday morning huddle uh, podcast that comes out every Monday. So look for that. Um, Cooper Allen and I uh, have paired up to make a, a kind of a dual article idea and we're previewing each division uh, nice. up until the beginning of the, the season and we're going to continue to have a, like a preview of each week going forward. So Cooper Allen is another great uh, um, FN contributor. Uh, he's actually been promoted to FN reporter. Um, and I just started, uh, as you, we said before we went on air, Alex, uh, the, doing um, a video channel and uploading videos onto YouTube and going to begin putting that... Uh, supplementing my articles with uh, YouTube videos. Don't like the way the Antonio Smith suspension was handled? No, not particularly. I guess I, was, <laughs> I got a little wrought up today. Um, it was, you know, it, I, I'm sure that you would agree that, we, that I think you've mentioned it, that, um, that they, they consider preseason games to be equal with regular season games. Um, but then they basically said with this suspension that one regular season game was equal to two preseason games. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, you're right, David. I've been on the hypocrisy of the NFL for a long time. There's uh, no yeah. doubt about it. Uh, for those who don't know, that's what David's first uh, installment of his video show was about, the Antonio Smith suspension. He will be suspended uh, two preseason games and week one. Uh, so, Dave, again, David Holcomb, footballnation.com. Find all of his stuff there. Monday Morning Huddle Podcast. Dave, thank you for coming on the show. We'll do it again soon, my man. That was fun. Yeah, that was great. Um, thanks for having me on, Alex, and we'll bring you on Monday Morning Huddle soon. Big thanks again. Go out to Dave Holcomb of the Monday Morning Huddle Podcast. Find it right here every Monday on footballnation.com. We thank you for taking the time coming on the program today. Not easy sitting with me for uh, 15 to 20 minutes, so we thank Dave for doing that. Always enjoy his perspective, and check out his show as well. Some good stuff going on over there. As I said in the opening, second down segment, taking a look at one of the bigger off-field stories of the week. And this week, it has to do with concussions in the NFL, this ongoing lawsuit between ex-players in the league. More than 4,800 players have joined this lawsuit. An additional 83 players joined late last week. That's according to Sports Illustrated. 
Uh, ESPN Outside the Lines came out with an investigative piece on Sunday with, as I also said in the opening, potentially damning information about how the NFL has handled concussions in the past. And this, of course, is relevant because it applies to this pending lawsuit. Uh, former Commissioner Paul Tagliabue appointed his personal doctor, Dr. Elliot Pellman, to lead the concussion committee in 1994. Now, Pellman did not become Tagliabue's personal doctor until 1997, but still, certainly a conflict of interest there. Uh, Tagliabue retired in 2006, and Pellman stepped down from his uh, position in 2007. Pellman also served as the New York Jets team physician, and that's uh, why Tagliabue said he appointed him to the head of the committee, uh, also because of uh, Pellman's work with former tight end Al Toon, whose series of severe head injuries forced him into an early retirement in 1992. Now, this was a lengthy piece uh, that aired on Outside the Lines on Sunday, also published on ESPN.com. A former Jet Center, Kevin Mawai, was, was quoted extensively in the piece. Uh, he has not joined the lawsuit yet. Uh, but he does say it was common for Jets players to re-enter games after being knocked out. Uh, several examples are cited there, including the case of former wide receiver Wayne Corvette, who famously re-entered a game against the Giants in 2003 after he was knocked out and was never the same caliber of player after that. And uh, Mawai also says in the article that the code word Dr. Pellman had to determine if a player was stable enough to re-enter the game was Red Brick Broadway, or should say the code words were Red Brick Broadway, and uh, the funny thing about that is, is it never changed. It was always Red Brick Broadway, so the phrase never changed, so even if you were knocked out beyond belief, you could still probably remember those three words and get yourself back into the game. Uh, Pellman was the lead author in nine of the studies this concussion committee led on uh, a possible connection between head injuries and playing football. Uh, the league concluded repeatedly the no NFL player had suffered brain damage. Uh, reading from the piece, now in 2005, Pelman and two colleagues on the committee tried unsuccessfully to force the retraction of a peer-reviewed paper saying that football gave Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Fame center Mike Webster brain damage. The demand was seen as highly unusual in a scientific journal because such, such actions are normally reserved for transgressions such as fraud or plagiarism. So that just goes to show you the lengths Dr. Pellman and the NFL went to try to discredit other scientific studies that attempted to link head injuries with playing football. Uh, this is also an anecdote, but a fascinating anecdote from the article, which kind of questions Pellman's medical background. In 2005, the New York Times revealed that Pellman embellished his credentials and failed to disclose that he attended medical, medical school in Guadalajara, Mexico. Uh, Pellman has acknowledged these mistakes, but he said they were unintentional and primarily made by the people he worked with, which begs the question, where did the people he worked with get this misinformation from? Did they just make it up out of the blue? Eh, I think the source was Dr. Pellman himself. Um, but certainly potentially damning information there. Uh, certainly a big conflict of interest, huh? I mean, Pelman's boss, Commissioner Tagliabue, was his patient for close to 10 years while he was head of this committee, 1997 through 2006, when Tagliabue retired from his post. Um, that screams conflict of interest to me. And how could you lead nine honest studies and not conclude that there was any link between head injuries and playing football? It, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and 
to me, the NFL's in a heap of trouble here if they weren't already. And it just goes to show you, more than 4,800 players have joined this lawsuit. The number is growing. More than 80 players joined the lawsuit just five or six days ago. Um, so this is only getting messier for the league, and it just shows you how far they went to discredit all other scientific studies that attempted to prove that there was connection between, between head injuries and brain damage and playing in the NFL. And it just shows you how dishonest the league wasn't handling this. And Mawai in the article says he hasn't joined the lawsuit because he knew going in that there was probably a link between smashing your head against other humans in a high contact, high speed, for, high speed sport like football and brain damage later than life. And I would agree with Mawai, that would seem to be rather self-evident. But still, the league was negligent in their treatment of concussions. They denied the link between concussions and playing football. So the league is certainly culpable. I think they'll pay. And this stuff certainly does not look good. And the more you find out about Dr. Elliot Pellman, the more of a sketchy character he seems to be, especially in regards to him being the head of the concussion committee due in part to his relationship with the commissioner, former commissioner, Paul Tagliabue. Third down segment, it's the Big Up or Slow Down segment where I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Question number one, Broncos star linebacker Von Miller has been suspended six games for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Big Up or Slow Down, will this affect the Broncos' playoff aspirations uh, it's certainly a big loss for them, but I'm going to say slow down here. I don't think this will ultimately affect the Broncos' playoff aspirations. And Miller claims he never failed a test, but there are other ways to flunk a test without failing it. And I know, that's a little confusing at first, but you can flunk a test if you miss one, and Miller missed a quarter appearance a couple weeks ago, so it you know, seems to miss important things. That's certainly feasible. Uh, you can refuse to test, and then you'll fail, flunk your test uh, tampering with tests or providing a diluted urine sample. So, you know, why would you do any of those things if you have nothing to hide? You know, it's like the people who refuse to breathalyzer. If I ever get pulled over in suspicion of a DUI, the only time I refuse a breathalyzer is if, 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 if I was drinking. If I wasn't drinking, I would take the breathalyzer because I know I would pass it. So I wouldn't dilute my urine sample, tamper with my test, refuse to test, or miss my test if I had nothing to hide. So, whatever the case, not good for Von Miller. Suspended six weeks. The league wanted to suspend him for more games, but Miller and the league were able to come to that six-week settlement. Uh, Miller failed under the policy and program for substance of abuse, not the policy and program for PEDs. It's also a, a distinction worth making. Uh, the Broncos signed veteran linebacker Paris Lennon uh, yesterday, who recorded 103 tackles with the Cardinals last season. I was not aware that Lennon was that effective last year with Arizona. Ten-year linebacker Sean Phillips will take Miller's place as a primary outside linebacker pass rusher. Uh, but you look at this Denver defense. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There's a lot of age on that defense. They lost Elvis Doomerville. Champ Bailey has a serious foot sprain. He may not be in back in time for the season opener. Uh, certainly a lot of questions with that defense entering the season. Now Miller's out for six weeks, and that defense did not look good at all against Baltimore in last year's postseason. But I still say this will not affect the Broncos' playoff aspirations because they play in a really bad division. Their division blows. The Raiders are a joke. The Chiefs should be improved this year with Andy Reid and Alex Smith, the quarterback. I think Reid will get the most out of Smith. He always does seem to get the most out of his QBs, but... 
The Chiefs are not going to be a playoff team this year. At least I don't think so. Uh, the Chargers are horrible. I have a new head coach, Mike McCoy. A tough schedule. I mean, they could be winless through the first several weeks of the season. I think that's a distinct possibility. Uh, so it's a weak AFC West. Probably the second best team in that division is Kansas City. And as I said, I don't, I don't even think they're that good. Um, so playing in a weak division is going to save the Broncos here. They do only play one divisional opponent through the first six weeks. So I, I believe they play Jacksonville in that stretch as well. So, I mean, they have a few Detroit too. So they have a few gimmies, but they could feasibly be three and three or at worst two and four through the first six weeks. I think that's possible, but then they could easily run the table or come close to it. A lot of divisional games in the second half of the season for them. And the biggest thing with Denver is they can outscore teams. And as we've seen the past couple of years, and as I talked about with David in the first down segment with our NFC preview, um, balance still wins in the playoffs, and you still need a defense to win in January. But from September through December, you really don't need that defense, or at least you don't need it often. Uh, the Broncos will be able to outscore teams this season. They play in a bad division. Miller will be back for the final 10 weeks of the regular season. Uh, so I think the Broncos will be fine. They'll win their division, uh, which will guarantee them at least one home game in the playoffs. It's a weak AFC. They could still be in contention for a bye, even if they have a 3-3 three and three, uh, record through the first six weeks of the season. So it's going to hurt early on. They may drop a game or two early on that they maybe wouldn't have dropped with Miller in the lineup and rushing the passer. But ultimately, because of the weak division and because of the ability of that offense, uh, I think the Broncos' playoff aspirations are not severely affected with Miller's six-week absence. Question number two, Mike Vick, officially named starting quarterback for the Eagles this week. Big up or slow down. Did first-year head coach Chip Kelly make the right decision uh, I say big up here. According to all reports, Vic has had a terrific training camp. He's a good in both preseason games. Uh, you can't, obviously, you can't factor in any meaning to wins and losses in the preseason, but I think you can factor some meaning into how players look, especially players like Vic, who are in positional competitions, have something improved to a new head coach and a new coaching staff. And Vic has won the job. He outright beat Nick Foles for the starting quarterback job. Props to him. At least on paper, Vic would seem to be a better option to run Chip Kelly's offense than Nick Foles because he's more dynamic an athlete than Foles is and thus more capable of running that complex offense, whatever it may look like on a pro level. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of it in preseason, but that could just be a case of Chip Kelly wanting to hold his proverbial cards close to his, uh, close to his uh, vest there. Um, so on paper, it looks like the right move. The Eagles can always go to Nick Foles later on in the season. They'll carry Foles as their backup quarterback to open things up. Uh, but Mike Vick won the job outright. I think it's a good move whenever you name the player who played better in training camp and preseason as your starting quarterback. It adds meaning to the preseason uh, to the preseason evaluation. Uh, so big up. I think the Eagles did make the right decision there in naming Mike Vick as a week one quarterback. And as I said, at least on paper, it looks like Vick would be the better guy to run that offense than Nick Foles. Final question here, Rob Gronkowski officially out for week one. Big up or slow down should the Patriots place him on the PUP list and therefore keep him out for the first six weeks of the season? And this is a tough question because you don't want to keep a guy on the PUP if you think he can return significantly sooner than the six weeks. But Gronkowski may be a bit of a different case because the Patriots need Gronkowski 
not in October, but in January. And I've said previously on the show that with Gronkowski's absence, with all the changes the Patriots underwent this offseason, I thought they would be in danger of losing some games early on. And I never thought they were in danger of losing the division, because like the Broncos in the AFC West, the AFC East is a real weak division, so I don't think the Patriots were ever in, were ever in danger of missing the playoffs, but I thought they could potentially drop some games early, which would affect their uh, potential to get that first round by and get home field throughout the playoffs, which, as we know, makes the route to the Super Bowl significantly easier. Um, but now that I've seen the offense in action for the first two weeks in the preseason, now that I've read the reports from practice on a daily basis, uh, I think that offense is going to be awesome in week one. I don't think they're going to miss a beat. Uh, Danny Amendola is day-to-day -day right now, so we'll see. Injuries, always a question with him. But he and Brady, I was at the preseason game on Friday night against the Buccaneers, and Amendola looked like Wes Welker out there. He looked like a younger, bigger, more athletic version than Wes, of Wes Welker. He really did. Uh, Zach Sudfeld, the undrafted tight end out of Nevada, has been unbelievable this training camp. Made an awesome uh, catch on the two-point conversion, ran a nice route, and also Ryan Mallett threaded the needle, uh, caught Sudfeld in the red zone later on in that game. Kimberl Tompkins, 25-year-old rookie, looks great. Seems as if Brady's getting into rhythm with him and the other rookie wide receivers, Aaron Dobson and Josh Boyce. The running game looks spectacular as well. You know the offensive line will be good. Um, I don't think the Patriots' offense is going to miss a beat. And the, the, the Bills are a mess. E.J. Manuel out for the remainder of the preseason. So it'll be Kevin Cobb in week one. The Jets still haven't named a starting quarterback. Mark Sanchez played three quarters in their last preseason game. Geno Smith will get the start in this week's game. And we know how pivotal the third preseason game is. It's the dress rehearsal for the regular season. So what do we say there with Smith getting the start over Sanchez? Um, so I think the Patriots are going to roll on week one. I really do. I've amended my prediction. And because I've amended my prediction, I think the Patriots are going to win way more than they lose early on. I don't think they're going to drop those games. I thought they would maybe drop. I think come week six, they'll be in prime position for a first round bye, home field advantage throughout. And because of that, I don't think they need Rob Gronkowski until the second half of the season. So big up. If I were the Patriots, I'd play the cons I'd be conservative with Gronkowski. I wouldn't play him until week seven. You don't need him the first six weeks. This offense will be a wagon from week one. Tom Brady looks better than ever at 36. You don't need Gronkowski early on. You don't need him. I was wrong. This Patriot offense will be great from week one. They're not going to miss a beat. So big up. I would keep Gronkowski out and ensure he is healthy for when you really need him in the postseason. Closing out the show, it's the fourth down segment. It's the Reamer rant. And as we know, there have been a rash of significant injuries at training camp this season. Going back to late July before games even started with Dennis Pitta and Jeremy Macklin and Percy Harvin. And then Dustin Keller and Champ Bailey and Wes Welker, EJ Manuel, Malcolm Floyd, Entrevall, Victor Cruz, etc. Not all these injuries are serious. Welker doesn't appear to be serious. Floyd, not serious. Roll, not serious. Cruz is on crutches, but... He doesn't appear to be all that uh, upset about his injury right now. That doesn't appear to be very serious. Um, but nonetheless, still a lot of injuries. Guys lost for the year. Pitter, Macklin, Harvin, Keller. Bailey will probably be out for week one. And, of course, with the new CBA, there's less padded. Uh, there, no, no, there are no more two-a-days, less padded practices, 
less hitting. And I think, folks, there should even be less hitting in training camp going forward than there is now. That's right. I know. The common commentary across the league is that there is already not enough hitting. I want to take away hitting even more. Yup, you got it. I go to this exchange. Dolphins wide receiver Brian Hartline called that Texan safety DJ Swearinger's low hit on killer on, on Keller crap. Uh, Hartline called out Swearinger, called this hit on Keller crap in their preseason game last week. Uh, but I ho uh, hone in on what Swearinger said to ESPN.com. Swearinger said, quote, my senior year, I had like three helmet-to-helmet -helmet penalties. I knew I had to change my style of play and start targeting low. And with this low hit on Keller, uh, Keller suffered a torn ACL, MCL, PCL, and dislocated knee kneecap. Uh, essentially, his knee blew up. Um, Swearinger's hit caused that much damage, and it was completely within the rules, and there wasn't even a flag on the play. Same game. Antonio Smith bashed Richie Incognito over the head with a helmet after a play. Luckily, no injuries were sustained, but they could have been sustained. My point is, injuries are unavoidable in the game of football. Players lose their cool, as Smith did on Incognito, and could cause harm and injury that way. Just on it, a hit, like Swearinger had on Keller, a hit that is perfectly within the rules, aiming low. Injuries are unavoidable in the game of football. We need to cut the preseason schedule down to two games. Mix in some joint practices to make up for that lost time, but cut down on the games because the risk-reward doesn't add up. And I'll get the argument that injuries are happening now because there are fewer padded practices under the new CBA. No more two days. What? So what's that theory? The more you hit, the what? Your bones, your bones turn to titanium? I mean, what, the more times you get tackled, your bones will become indestructible and invincible? That's stupid. That's ridiculous. The best way to avoid injury is to be hit less. You have to cut the preseason schedule down. And I've looked at the numbers. I see that the injuries this season are on a similar level to what they've been in previous years. But why we're noticing it this year is because so many star players are getting hurt. So many starting caliber players are being hurt. Teams have millions of dollars invested in these guys. They have seasons invested in these guys. And it's a shame that they get hurt in meaningless preseason games. Cut down the preseason schedule. The starters only really play in one of them anyway. Week three, they play into the second half. You don't need four games. The fourth game is a wash anyway. Nobody plays in that. Now you're looking at three games. And in between games one and two, please, you can make you can make it work with just with eliminating one of those games as well. Don't believe the coaches when they say, "Oh, we need to go to look at this." Really. Really, you need that extra preseason game to get a good look to determine the 50th or 53rd guys on your roster. And if that's the case, then you need to go into another line of work. I think you can make those determinations based off of practices, especially if you have some joint practices as some teams continue to have around the league. So, in my opinion, I know it may be an outlandish opinion. I know the football people, the football lifers may not like it, but cut down the hitting. Yes, cut down the hitting even more. Cut the preseason schedule from four games to two because just from a common, just from a logical standpoint, it seems to me the best way to avoid injury is to be hit less, not to be hit more, which some people are ludicrous are 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 suggesting for some ludicrous reason that I cannot comprehend.
thank you for tuning in to episode number 58 of the Football Nation Today podcast. Again, thanks go out to Dave Holcomb from the Monday Morning Huddle for coming on the show today, helping us take a brief look at the NFC. Next week, we'll do a similar preview with the AFC. Don't want to miss that. As always, feel free to leave your comments on the show page on footballnation.com. Also, feel free to send me an email, areamer at bu.edu, or also hit me up on Twitter, at alexreamer1 is my Twitter name. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your weekend, one of the last summer weekends. So get outside, enjoy yourselves, and we'll be back to talk some more football with you next Wednesday. So long. Talk then when we'll be just a mere one week away from kickoff.